What's up, everybody? Welcome to Talk It Out Podcast. This is your girl, Gabby. And your girl, KT. Please hit us up on our social medias, facebook.com slash talkitoutpodcast, Instagram at talkitoutpodcast, and Twitter at talkitout underscore pod. And we have a very special guest coming all the way from Choices Memphis Center for Reproductive Health, Miss Holly. Everybody give it up for Holly. <laughs> um, Holly, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do at Choices? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Holly, and I'm the Director of Development and Communications at Choices. Um, so what that basically means is I'm in charge of all of our fundraising, special events, and public communication work. Um, so just a little bit. There's a little bit of work. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, we are a nonprofit reproductive health clinic uh, located in Midtown Memphis. Um, and what we do is everything that relates to your reproductive and sexual health. So um, we provide abortion care, uh, medical and surgical abortion, STI testing and treatment, general gynecological care, fertility services, um, HRT, so hormone replacement therapy for trans folks, um, nice. And just this year, we added on to our services um, a center for midwifery. So we offer prenatal care uh, and birth care led by midwives. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, we do a lot, but we love it. So uh, how exactly, let's say someone wanted to go get these services done. Uh, do you guys provide this at free of cost or? Um, it really depends. Um, if you have insurance or you have the ability to pay, then you'll pay for services. Um, and since we're a nonprofit, we keep our costs pretty low. So we charge you what it costs us to provide those services. Um, and if you're in financial need and you can't afford to access these services, then we have an internal patient assistance fund, um, and a financial counselor who will work with you to figure out what you need to get the care that you need and we'll make it happen for you. All right, sounds good. So can, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Choices? Um, like who started it, why it was started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Choices was founded in 1974, and we were just called Memphis Center for Reproductive Health then. Um, and do you guys happen to know what happened in 1973 that led to us being founded in 74? I'm guessing Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Yeah, Roe v. Wade, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, basically, after Roe v. Wade, um, there was only one place in town that provided abortion services, and mm-hmm. that was what is now Planned Parenthood Greater Memphis Region, um, but it had a different name then, and I don't know what it is because I don't work for Planned Parenthood. <laughs> um, <laughs> but a group, just a group of local women in town um, got together, pulled their money, bought a house, hired a doctor, and opened an abortion clinic. Um and the idea that was that it was a feminist clinic um, that was, um, at the time, for women, by women, with women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very much centered around the feminist ideas of bodily autonomy and open access. For about 30 years, we provided first trimester abortion care, cash only. Um, we didn't take insurance because insurance doesn't pay for abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about 10 years ago, our... A uh, new executive director came on board and started to recognize that 
know, there's a lot more people who aren't getting the kind of services that they need um, other than just women who want abortion care. Right. So we started adding stuff on like um, reproductive health for people living with HIV. Um, and then we started adding GYN care that was available even if you had 10 care, you didn't have insurance. Um, and then we added on LGBTQ health. And trans health, because, you know, not everybody with a uterus identifies as a woman. Right. Um, So our model has really expanded and adding these birth services is really right in line with that model of identifying gaps um, in what's currently available in healthcare and trying to fill those gaps in a culturally competent way. Um, Can you talk a little bit? Because I can't even imagine being in the South in the 70s saying you're going to open up an abortion clinic in the Bible Belt. Like... Um, do you know, like, some of the, the obstacles those people had to face to even, like, proclaim that that's what they were trying to do? Do you know that um, Priscilla Chisholm, our founder, told us uh, maybe last year during a conversation that they didn't have any obstacles, huh. that they just did it, they wanted to do it, they did it, and either nobody knew what they were doing or nobody had a problem with it. Wow. Um, and it wasn't until the 80s that there was a lot of pushback in the community. Like, I think about the 80s, like, I wonder if that had something to do with, like, who the current president was at the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's totally possible. And then also, you know, for a really long time, people who provided abortion care had this idea of, like, you know, we are not trying to raise attention to ourselves. We Mm. are trying to keep our heads down, provide these services, and not ruffle any feathers. Okay. So it's possible that they just flew below the radar. Yeah. What about now? Does Choices get any pushback from any religious people in the community? I mean, I see people posted up at Planned Parenthood all the time. Do y'all ever have, like, any of those people coming to Choices protesting and saying, you know, y'all are doing evil work or stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, We definitely don't have as much of a protester presence as Planned Parenthood sort of out on the street, mm-hmm. um, which just is because, you know, we're smaller. Um, most of the time when people think abortion clinic, they think Planned Parenthood right, um, right off the bat. Um, but we do have one little buddy who comes out every <laughs> Friday morning with his little um, and hollers at us on the way into work. Oh, and Lord. he'll have some friends join him. God. And then you know, bigger than that, those people... Um, those people really suck because they're yelling at patients who are, you know, maybe just like made a decision and they're having abortion. It's not a big deal. Right. Maybe it's a bigger deal to them and they're mm-hmm. having a time emotionally and they're yelling at them. But in my experience, what's really hard is that there are a lot of people out there who say, I support the work you do, but I don't want to do it publicly. Mm. So like, you know, if I worked for my background is in nonprofit um, work and fundraising and philanthropy. So, you know, if I worked for the animal shelter, I could walk into any business in town and probably walk out with a donation or a gift card or something for my special event. Yeah. But we have to be really strategic and work really hard because not everybody is brave enough to stand up for us, even if they personally believe it. Gotcha. Oh, I never thought about that, but that's true. You know, I mean, we're still in the South, even though it's 2018. Abortion is still a dirty word. And LGBTQ AI people are still yeah. getting persecuted. And, you know, there, there's always this stigma about HIV. So I can definitely see why people would be apprehensive 
in this current climate uh, that we're know, in? When it comes to like having sex or having genitals or needing reproductive health care, it is all stigmatized. Yeah. Like even just going to get your annual pap smear is so stigmatized and people feel so much like shame and anxiety around it. We Me. always say if it's, <laughs> you know, if it's your vagina, it's a big deal. Um, Can you um, talk a little bit about a little bit more about the importance of reproductive health? Um, I read some statistic about I don't know exactly the number, but apparently, you know, the the STI rate in Memphis is just ridiculous. And, um, you know, we don't really get sex ed education not from our parents or from the schools so can you talk a little bit about the importance of uh sex education and reproductive health if you could yeah i absolutely can Um, i'm actually pulling up a document right now where i can like read off some statistics about stis in memphis okay um but the reality here that we're facing um here we go memphis ranks as number 12 um in the nation is the highest gonorrhea and chlamydia rates. Whoa. Number nine, highest HIV rates. Um, we only have two abortion care providers in the city. We have an incredibly high maternal and infant mortality rate. Mm. And there is no comprehensive sex education in public schools. So, yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, there's a connection there. Right. Um, and... The unfortunate reality is that in more progressive parts of the country, they're moving on to conversations about maybe sex ed should be including consent. Maybe we should talk about gender and sexuality in sex ed. And what they're doing is preparing kids to grow into adults who have healthy, safe sex lives. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing in the South is not only on the most basic level, stopping people from being able to protect themselves from HIV and STIs and unplanned pregnancies. Um, we're also setting people up for emotional trauma when it comes to sex. That's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. Yep. I mean, I know when I was a teenager, I mean, I went to Catholic school, so my sex ed was basically like, Jesus hates you if you have sex. My mid twenties that I kind of was like, Oh, like I'm supposed to want to have sex too, you know? Like, yeah. Our, everything in our culture, especially, tells people um, who are assigned female at birth and raised as girls um, that, like, it's not about you. Your job is to be desired, and then after that, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and it, you know, I know for me personally, it was really damaging, and I think it's really sad that we can't even be talking about condoms and STIs in school. Because we really need to be going to that second step where we're talking about emotional health and sex and, you know, emotion, uh, safely navigating gender and sexuality and consent. Exactly. Like we haven't even we can't even get past the level surface. Yeah. Like you, you yeah. can't even just you can't even say the word like it's it's crazy. And then these same <laughs> people will be the ones, you know, dogging young people about babies having babies and y'all some this and that because of all these STIs. But how do you expect these people to know what to do if you never taught them? Like you don't you don't turn 18 and then you automatically know how sex works. So you automatically know how STIs work. That's not the way it works. 
Yeah, and like, let's not pretend that everybody waits until they're 18 to start having sex. True, exactly. You yeah, know, true. Like, yeah. You know, like, that's just the reality. And, you know, another reality to this is that it becomes systemic inequality when you think about the fact that, um, you know, somebody who go, whose family is wealthy and they live in a nice neighborhood in town, she starts having sex. You know, her mom's taking her to the private clinic and getting her on birth control. Exactly. Yep. You know, like, it's happening, but somebody who doesn't have those opportunities, who doesn't, you know, that then they're the ones who are really facing the consequence of this lack of sexual education in schools. Yep. And they'll be the ones getting shamed because I know good and well, all those people at my high school were having sex and as teenagers, but there was no teen pregnancy because people were, like you said, on birth control or if something happened, they were able to take care of it, you know? And so there wasn't this big thing about, Oh, these, all these girls pregnant because, you know, they were able to do things about it. But you know, you go to public schools or schools where they're not teaching that. And you, you, you happen to have more people, more kids that are getting pregnant because they don't have access to condoms or birth control or any of that stuff. But we have, yeah. they have the audacity to point the finger when they're doing the same thing so yeah exactly exactly and these same people who are not helping our kids you know our kids in our city they are not helping them protect themselves they're the same people standing out in front of the clinic calling them baby killers when they have abortion right right you know if you want like the most effective way to prevent abortions or bring the abortion rate down is to provide people access to effective birth control they can afford exactly Absolutely. Um, so this reminds me, and I always go back to this book because I love it, but uh, Feminism is for Everybody by Bell Hooks, where oh, she talks about, book. yeah, she talks about how, like, um, whenever feminism became, you know, uh, where everyone, especially white women, were going into and looking at it and thinking about, yeah, this is for me. They basically were talking more about sexual liberation as opposed to, like, access to to care. And I'm, I'm just kind of going backtracking what you guys were saying, but it, 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 it really is, like, with mainstream feminism... We focus more on sexual liberation and, oh, okay, everyone can have sex and, and that's, you know, this is my vagina. But when we're talking about having access to care, that's not really in the forefront of, you know, mainstream feminism. Yeah, because people who have privilege have access to care, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have a certain level of privilege, like, it doesn't matter what the laws in your state are, and your daughter wants to have an abortion, like, you're flying her to New York, you know, right. like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's true. They have access to that level of care, um, and I think that this um, really, really is present when we start talking about birth care and prenatal care, mm-hmm. um, because in Memphis, I don't remember the exact statistic, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but in Memphis, babies born to women of color are something like 40% more likely to be born preterm, to be born before they're ready to be born. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's a problem, you know, and it's, that's a really, really serious issue. It is. And the, the people who are concerned with abortion access and need to be concerned about this too. Because what we're talking about is access to care, 
bodily autonomy, the right to make decisions about your reproductive health. Like it's this, you know, same, same, same. That's real. And you're, you're, you're exactly right about that statistic. Like when I think about it, like I was premature, my brother was premature, my other brother was premature. A lot of people in my family were born premature. So that statistic is, is real. And it's scary too, because a lot of those babies don't make it. And it's amazing how much of that is because of you know, I'm just going to say it. It's because of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, um, I, we have this one person right now, um, who we've been working with in this other program who her first pregnancy, um, unfortunately ended in the baby dying a couple hours after it was born mm. because she didn't have access to good care. Wow. Uh, her second pregnancy, that baby was born at 25 weeks. 40 is the number you want to get to, mm. um, and he's still suffering. Um, and then, you know, she's pregnant right now. And because I knew her and I'd been working with her, I was able to put her in touch with our midwives and they got her appointments with the right specialist. And she's like 30 weeks pregnant right now. Wow. Um, doing, you know, like, and she's told me the people who I, who have seen me for care, they treated me like I was some like street rat and not like I was a mother and a human being. And that, I mean, that's the truth, you know, that is, is that, yeah, that's just the truth is that you have to approach every single patient and treat them like a full human being with a full life and give them access to high quality care. That reminds me of, I mean, cause that happened to my mom and, and she, unfortunately, one of her babies died because of the, the doctors not listening to her. But that also reminds me of Serena Williams, like the most, uh, decorated like athlete in the world she had to deal with doctors not taking her word for after she had her baby and she knew that she suffered from blood clots and she was telling them pretty much um you know I'm not feeling well I have blood clots y'all might need to check on this and they weren't even listening to her Serena Williams and so she had to actually fight for herself and say no y'all need to to check this out and they found out that you know she was right and she could have died if they would have just ignored her but think about all the people that don't have power like just regular regular people and that were they were in that situation they probably could have died because a lot of times doctors do not take black people's word for it they think we're faking it they think you know we can um yeah we don't we deal with pain better we don't we don't suffer pain you know it's it's scary they it's not just they probably would have died they would have died Yep. Anyone who is not strong enough to insist as urgently as she did would have died. And you shouldn't have to be like Serena Williams not to die while you give birth. Right. You know? Um, yeah, it's really. When we started this project to open a birth center and ultimately right now we have a temporary center for midwifery for home and hospital births. But next year we'll have a new comprehensive center well, we'll be the first and only nonprofit clinic in the country to offer um, abortion care and birth care under the same roof. Wow. Um, it's going to be really awesome. But when we started this project, I was like, I never thought about birth justice. It was not, you know, I am yeah. lesbian. I am childless by choice. I'm going to yeah. be 30 in two weeks. Like birth justice was not on my radar. <laughs> And the more I learned about it and the more I saw this data, I said, you know, this is a human rights issue. And for the same reason that as someone who is not going to accidentally get pregnant, 
I care passionately about abortion access. I need to care passionately about this too. Uh, I was going to ask something because um, I don't know why, but <laughs> I have a question. So uh, in the clinic, are you guys, do you guys just have like bell hooks books all the time and you're just walking around being feminist and like, <laughs> or is it like, uh, some of you believe in completely being pro-choice and some of you don't and you just don't talk about it or, cause I know like regardless of where you work there's always going to be people there that are just kind of like yeah that's a great question um I'd say it's about 50 50 um you know especially in roles like mine it's really important that I'm really passionate about our mission and so roles like that there's you know at least 50 percent of us are like wearing t-shirts to work that say like ask me about my vagina (laughs) (laughs) Going to feminist book readings and like texting each other, like, um, like, uh, saved by the bell hooks memes. <laughs> and then there's, uh, on the clinical staff, I'd say about 50% of people who are like here for a paycheck. You know, Choices um, is one of the few nonprofits in Memphis that pays a living wage and offers benefits to all employees. Wow. Um, so we have a $15 minimum wage at Choices. Wow. Um, which is almost double what medical assistance would make in a hospital. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so there's, you know, some people who are just there for the paycheck. And that's the real challenge that we face is making sure that even though it is not possible to have a full, like, 40-person staff full of people who are, like, feminists on fire for the intersectionist <laughs> inclusive mission, yeah, uh, making sure that our patients feel empowered and that we are using the correct pronouns every mm. single time. And that regardless of what you think in your mind, the person who is here for her eighth abortion in a year is treated exactly the same as anybody else. That's awesome. That is. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your um, LGBTQ plus um inclusivity excellent that's a really good question um so on a really basic level an sti test is an sti test and it doesn't matter who you have sex with you know like that so all of our services are available um to queer people and that is a little bit revolutionary in that we train our staff to be culturally competent for that Mm -hmm. um uh, as a fellow lesbian, I'm sure you have experienced going to the doctor and then I'm not going to need that pregnancy test. <laughs> um, but, uh, so just training on stuff like that yeah. and make sure that, you know, when you come in for your pap smear, we don't say things that would be shaming if perhaps you are a polyamorous pansexual who has 10 sexual partners you're active with right now. Or, right. you know, like, and then um, on another level... Um, lesbians are significantly more likely to die of preventable reproductive cancers for two reasons. One of them is that we are less likely to give birth than heterosexual women. Mm. Um, And that just because of some sciencey hormone thing uh, makes you more likely to get some reproductive cancers um, than women who give birth. But the other side of that and the more significant factor is that a lot of lesbians do not go to the gynecologist. Mm, they, yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, 
it is pink in there. Like, <laughs> pictures of women and like pregnant bellies and you know, a person, uh, a woman who identifies as like a butch woman and hasn't worn women's clothing since she was five years old. <laughs> like, oh yeah, please let me have that lotus water and pink. Right. Down. <laughs> uh, so it's important to make sure that you have a place that's welcoming and that recognizes that, you know, not just sexuality is a spectrum, but gender is a spectrum. Right, right. And then, you know, that's also a really big challenge, um, especially because we serve uh, a really big patient population of people who are transgender and gender nonconforming. And like me, you know, I am a like feminist lesbian, like here for it. Like you tell me what your pronoun is and that is what I'm going to call you like here for. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) my staff members are not that way. And it is a real challenge for them. And part of what we have to do is make sure that we are constantly training, that we are constantly seeking feedback from patients so that mm. if we have someone on staff who's regularly using the wrong pronoun, we can train them or we can fire them. Um, and it's tough. You know, it is not easy, um, but it is a hill worth climbing. It would be so much easier if they just taught this from the get-go, like in school, like just go ahead and teach this. And so we don't have ignorant people who are having to take care of people who are gender non- non-conforming and, and things like that. Like why? Yeah, why exactly right. They're already. <laughs> a larger cultural shift in general, um, truthfully. And I think we're, I mean, I think it's happening, you know, um, 10 years ago, I, w- I could not have told you that I knew anyone who was trans or gender nonconforming. Yeah. And today, like, at least half my friends identify as trans. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. the people coming out and talking about it and normalizing it. And then also cisgender people like me normalizing it, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wear, a pro- I wear a button every single day to work that says my pronouns are she um, to stand in support of my trans co-workers um, who need to wear those buttons. And on my email signature, it says pronouns, she, her. Um, and I, th- I think that's really important. And it's, you know, it is tough. It is hard every time that we have a great training and I'm like, we've nailed it. We are going <laughs> to do it from now on. We'll get a patient complaint about someone who's dead named um, or called the wrong pronoun. You know, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. But it's worth it. It's worth the effort because... You know, trans people, gender nonconforming people are human beings and human beings deserve respect. They deserve access to health care and they deserve life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Preach it. So uh, I do have a question. So uh, Memphis is majority people of color. Do you guys serve more people of color or uh, more white people? Um, the racial breakdown of our patients, it almost exactly mirrors the racial breakdown of Shelby County. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, about 65 to 68% of our patients, um, are people of color. Um, so yeah, I mean, yes. Okay. (laughs) The way the, the, Racial breakdown of our patients pretty much exactly mirrors the racial breakdown of Shelby County. 
Oh, interesting. Actually, I when did I? I learned about you guys. Actually, y'all are right by in Midtown by my church. And I used to drive past y'all all the time, but I didn't know what it was. We well, I still do. Yeah, we still do. <laughs> and it wasn't until maybe like two years ago. I don't know how I found you guys, but I found you. And I was like, these people are doing really good work. I like what you do. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, so we talked about, you know, some of the adversity you face with some haters and stuff harassing you. Can you talk a little bit about what y'all do? Do y'all do any type of educating of just, um, the city in general? Um, like, because there's not that much of a conversation around reproductive health. Do y'all like go out to places and, and talk to people about, about it? Yeah, that's a huge part of my job. Um, and we, you know, we will go everywhere we are invited to go. Um, and sometimes we will invite ourselves places that we were (laughs) not invited in the first place because we think we should be there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if there is a health fair, a tabling event, um, a community fair, we try to have a presence there. Um, I guest lecture, um, once a semester at the university of Memphis. Okay. Uh, reproductive health and reproductive rights. Um, we also, a couple years ago, created an entity called Healthy and Free Tennessee, um, which we continue to fiscally sponsor. Um, and Healthy and Free Tennessee is a basically a political advocacy organization. Um, and so their job is to motivate people around you know, you need to call your senator because they're trying to propose another heartbeat bill. Mm. Um, bringing people to lobby days to meet directly with their representatives, um, filing official statements um, to really kind of take the political advocacy because Choices is a 501c3 nonprofit, which means that we're a charitable service nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't really do that much lobbying. Our job is to take care of patients and make health care affordable. So I'm going to uh, go back and uh, ask you a little bit about some politics a little bit. Um, so you, you talked about, you know, the heartbeat bill and, you know, people have proposed bills um, where, you know, you have to show the, the mother the ultrasound before they have the abortion. Is that correct? You know what I'm yeah, about? that's on the table right now. Yeah. Um, I just want to know what what do you think? Why do you think a lot of these conservative Republican people are so obsessed with making sure people don't have abortions? Why are they so interested in what other people are doing with their bodies? Yeah, why are they so obsessed? (laughs) A couple different reasons. Um, Number one, first and foremost, I think that we live in a society that just hates women. Um, And even... Not everyone who needs access to abortion care um, identifies Yeah. And those stories are really valuable and important. You know, 99% of people who need abortion care are women. Um, and systemically, mm-hmm. it's an issue that has affected people who identify as women. And, you know, you can't you can't have that freedom. You know, if you can control <laughs> it, like, what's next? You're going to want a job? You're going to want to be my... <laughs> you know? Um... And I think that bears out in the fact that in terms of bodily autonomy, if we made a law saying that every single person who died had to be an organ donor unless they opted out, we would save so many lives. Yeah, that's Um, true. 
because we value bodily autonomy. We value people being able to control what happens with their bodies. But if that person has a uterus, then it's a different story, right? Mm -hmm. We see women as vessels. We don't see women as whole people. We see women as accessories have to keep uh, accessories men have to clean their house, have their babies, build their family, go to the office holiday party with them. (laughs) And even though our society is evolving beyond that, the basic structures are still in place. And when you live in a place like Tennessee, there is no way better to rile up your conservative base and get them to the polls than to use the word abortion. Oh, my goodness. And when I tell you, um, oh, I have a story. I already told it, but I have to tell you because it's just so ridiculous. So my my uncle is a black Republican. Okay, he came to church the day before the Roy Moore um, thingamajigger, the election. And he was talking about how uh, the Christians need to rally together. And because, you know, Satan's trying to take over America, yada, 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 that type of stuff. Anyways, he was pretty much trying to say that Roy Moore's molestation and sexual abuse of young girls wasn't okay, but he did a lot of good things for the Lord and he was for the Ten Commandments and he was against the the killing of babies. So, you know, vote Roy Moore. <laughs> Roy Moore. So I'm like, is abortion that much of an issue that you're just going to forget somebody is a child molester? Just so you can tell women they can't have an abortion. Is it that serious? But I guess it is. Well, you know, I think that a big problem here is something I said earlier. For a really long time, abortion care providers were like, keep your head down, keep the clinic running, don't mm-hmm. get bombed. Um, and in that time, we let the anti-choice crowd be in charge of this conversation. Like we let them have control of it. Mm. So we let them make the word abortion synonymous with baby killer. And mm. you know, our current president can go into a debate and describe a C-section. As if it- <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, right. That's how abortion is. You know, like. And so we have this misconception, like the reality is that uh, most eggs that are fertilized do not become fetuses. Mm-hmm. Wash out with your period. And we're not concerned about saving those. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Medication abortion, like you come to the doctor, you get some pills, you take them, you have a really heavy period for a couple of days and you're done. The word surgical abortion implies that we are like cutting into you and taking something out. It is just like getting an IUD inserted with just a little bit extra added in. Mm-hmm. You just dye your cervix and then slurp it out. You know, like right. People have we need we need comprehensive sex education. We need people to understand the facts. Um, That's the thing. Yeah, it's a lot harder to use it as a really easy political bargaining chip if the public understands the facts. Right. And that's that's where the conservatives have championed. Like you said, they use those buzzwords, baby killer and abortion and third third trimester abortion and stuff like that. And if you don't know what's going on, if you never had an abortion, if you're just kind of, you know, you see the little images they put up, you're like, oh, my gosh, they are taking these well, like literal babies and just throwing them in a dumpster. And it will really they can wow you up. They really use their fear mongering to the T that even if you knew like 
everything they wasn't saying was true, you would still like get like emotionally caught up by the way they portray it. And, you know, it's like you said, the education. But a lot of times when people have those strong feelings and they've already made up their mind, it's really, really hard trying to convince them otherwise. So I want to talk about how like whenever they talk about the additional options besides abortion they always say oh well you can put those children into adoption but like they don't know the statistics on how like uh like two-thirds of the children don't even get adopted each year that are actually put into adoption and then like uh hold on i have the statistics it says four thousand two or 428,000 children are in foster care in the United States, and only 135,000 children are adopted in the United States each year. Uh, among these children's me- or among these children, males outnumber females, and African American children are dispor- disproportionately represented, and over half are six years older. Older. So, like, basically, what they're saying is that, hey, we're gonna put you into an adoption a- agency where you may or may not get adopted, and you know, maybe when you get older, since you're not having access to care or proper uh, home, you know, life relationship then uh you know maybe your mental health will be okay but we don't really care because since you're disproportionately black we're not gonna care about you anyway so it's like what what we can't do adoption and we can't do abortion what do you want us to do yeah i think it um this particular conversation has even like deeper toxic roots than that And I think it goes right back to this idea that people with uteruses are just vessels, Um, because in that conversation, we are not talking about if the pregnant person wants a pregnancy. You know, like it's not like, well, I'll just be pregnant, but no, like it won't interrupt. (laughs) Like being pregnant is hard and it's a decision that you could make proactively because you want to be pregnant. And I always tell people abortion is not an alternative to parenting. Abortion is an alternative to pregnancy. Adoption is an alternative to parenting. Mm. And you you have the right to not be pregnant if you don't want to be pregnant. That's your right. You also have the right to have sex. Those are not mutually exclusive. Ooh. And then the, the people there like adoption, adoption, haven't adopted one child. I'm like, what are, What do you or want? Or provided any type of money to adoption agencies. Or provided any type of money. Or to charities for children. Or tried to make sure folks is using condoms. Like, they just no. they just want to just yell and just point a finger and say somebody doing something wrong. But have no real solution and aren't contributing to help to find a solution. They just want to say something. And that's what's so annoying about it. Yeah. <sighs> it's really a problem. And they, you know, I always tell people the reason that we will win, the reason that our side is right is because we are fighting for individual people with individual stories and they are fighting against an idea. And their idea is that the people who get pregnant on accident, the people who have abortions are like irresponsible. They're doing whatever you always hear. Abortion is a form of birth control. Um, (laughs) But the realities of the people that we are seeing, we are seeing people age 12 to age Mm. 50 for abortion services. We are seeing people who bring three children under the age of four with them to their appointments. Wow. We are seeing people who come into their patient vacation room and say, 
I'm in an abusive relationship and I just left two weeks ago and literally all that I have is the clothes I'm wearing. Mm. You know, we see people who accidentally got pregnant while their child is undergoing radiation therapy at St. Jude. And if your child's undergoing radiation therapy and you're pregnant, you can't hold them. Mm. So like, yeah, they're going to have an abortion. Yeah. You know, we had a patient recently who her and her fiance really wanted to get pregnant and they'd been going through fertility services. They got pregnant and like four weeks after she found out she was pregnant, he had a horrible accident and he's a vegetable now and she's his primary caregiver. Mm. Yeah. Like that's the reality is that we're fighting for real people with real stories and they're fighting against some like BS idea, you know, so yeah, it's it's definitely important for those stories to get out there because you like you said you don't hear it. You don't hear it at all. They bring up incest and then they bring up rape and then they say, "Well, some some crazy dude said, "Well, if it's really rape then you won't get pregnant or if it's rape then, you know, that doesn't happen that much. God will will make God this." God wouldn't give you nothing that you can't handle, baby. Just craziness. I can't. But those stories are very important, and we're, we're very thankful for the work that you do. Uh, normally, each year, this podcast does, like, we give out tampons and pads to the community. And uh, really what we're kind of wanting to know is, do you guys give out any type of uh, condoms or maybe pads or tampons or something that we could possibly get involved with as well? Um, we give out like maybe 10,000 condoms a year. Mm. Uh, yeah. At any point, if you ever need a condom, they are available for you at choices. We have buck- like literal buckets of them everywhere. <laughs> um, condoms are freely available. Um, every time that we go to a tabling event, we bring condoms. Okay. Um, and we don't give out tampons or pads, but we, um, I can't remember the name of this organization, um, but there's a local organization in town that does it, and every year we donate like a hundred boxes, um, or some crazy, like some crazy amount yeah. of boxes, um, to what they do. Okay, so um, could you, if anybody wanted to um, help or donate or volunteer anything with with choices, where could they go um, to find out more? At www.memphischoices.org. Um, and once you go to our website, uh, memphischoices.org, there's a little tab on top that says get involved. Um, and you can learn more about volunteering. You can learn more about becoming an abortion doula. Um, you can make a donation. Um, or you can come to our special event, Condemonium, which is coming up at the end of the month. Condemonium is our annual fundraiser, and it is Memphis's best party, in my opinion. And I'm Ooh. not just saying that because I put it on. <laughs> Uh, tickets are $50, or if you're under 26, they're $25 student price. A fashion show with outfits made out of condoms. Um, nice. And a risque cabaret show that includes comedy, burlesque, music, and drag. My um, favorite. It, we're, we're coming. We're coming. <laughs> yeah, it is so much fun. It's like... It's really so great. We um, always invite local drag queens who are not performing in the cabaret to come in um, full dress and mingle in the crowd. People will come in wearing condom outfits they've made themselves. And it is just like a night to like let your progressive sex positive flag fly. 
Well, we're there. Um, when is when's the date? March thirty first. You won't know it's us because we're anonymous, but we'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> Hiding behind some condoms. Right. <laughs> I'll be that like uh, redhead looking stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, yes, please head on over to their website. Donate if you uh, love the work that they're doing, if you like the work that they're doing. If you're in Memphis, come on over to the Condemonium. Is that what it's called? Condemonium. Condemonium with us. And let's turn up with some condoms and some burlesque. That is my fave. And let's do it. All right. Can you, uh, one more time, um, we already plugged your website. Can you plug any of your social medias? Um, for everyone, yeah. please. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram at Memphis Choices. Hit them up. Tell them that we sent you. And after you're done with that, please hit us up on our social medias Facebook.com slash Talk It Out Podcast, Instagram at Talk It Out Podcast, and Twitter at Talk It Out underscore pod. We hope you enjoyed this conversation that we had with Miss Holly. And we hope it encourages you to have a conversation with your loved ones about reproductive health and birth prenatal rights and all that other stuff that we talked about. Um, Thank you again, Holly, for coming on the show. We really enjoyed your conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I love every opportunity I have to talk about this stuff and get this message out there. Yay! And this has been your girl, Gabby. KT. And this has been Talk It Out Podcast. And we out.